today I'm going to bite off way more than I can chew. So bear with me on this one. After those first few episodes, I answered a bunch of questions. If you've ever got questions, you know, you can always text me 720-704-4865, direct connect. I will definitely include any questions you've got on another episode. And before I got too far into this podcast, I wanted to call out the elephant in the room. And that is the huge amount of creativity, intuition, and woo that influences the way that I work these days. I started out as a hardcore fucking skeptic. I was raised by two atheists who had both come up through fairly religious experiences, one of whom is a Holocaust survivor and essentially had to try on Catholicism throughout his childhood just simply to survive. So not only was there a intense hatred for organized religion, there was also uh, an obscene amount of judgment around anybody who had quote unquote faith. So with that, please know that I am not coming at you like just trust and believe, light and love, mantras and uh, mudras will get you through. Uh, it's been a, it's been a twenty year journey for me, and I'm gonna try and wrap that up into this episode. So it's gonna be fun. But what I really want to talk about is actually a, v- and and this is gonna be one of the few times that I use the the least amount of science and data and reference to studies as possible, because I think you should test everything. Never take my word for it. Absolutely apply anything that I discuss in these episodes to your actual experience and see if it works for you. Uh, Only do that if it sounds interesting. Never just take someone's word for anything. Approach it with some humor, some creativity, and absolutely adapt it to your own experience and then try it and see what happens. We're going to get into that a little bit further in this episode. So one of my new favorite things is design theory. There's a process around testing your intuition, your creativity, your inspiration. And it's not a coincidence that those things tend to fall into the same synonymous category. They actually all come from the same physiological point in your brain. I will get a little bit into that. I'm also going to talk about why we went so far down the data, empirical evidence, scientific rabbit hole, where that really came from, and why we now feel like intuition is bullshit. We hold faith in great disdain and how those particular perspectives might be more harmful are potentially holding you back from success because creativity really is the number one factor in success. And creativity is a muscle that you must build. It is not just a skill reserved for artists. Once you get to a certain acumen, creativity feels a lot like intuition. And intuition is an incredibly powerful place to draw upon when you're seeking creativity. Guess what? Even for the most scientifically favored or inclined, I should say, we're all going to need a little bit of inspo when we're trying to solve intractable problems, when we're trying to create something that we haven't done before. 
when we're trying to create new levels of success and impact in our own work and experience. So hear me out because you may have been led down a path inadvertently that relies so heavily on fact and data. You're actually tuning out possibility, potential, and opportunity. So if you are success oriented, if you believe in continual improvement, if you like to achieve success, you have yet to experience, or, you know, the success only one can dream about, you might want to listen. So with that, let's get right into it. So maybe perhaps a little bit of background. How did we get here? Why are we so reliant on science? And when did creativity become a four-letter word? And I mean, when did we also abandon any sense of um, faith and intuition? It goes back a long, long time ago uh, in a galaxy kind of far, far away. We just started debating creativity. Where did it come from? And no surprise, Plato and some of the first philosophers are the ones credited with this. Now, I understand (laughs) the way history works is it is captured by those who are in charge based on the language that we have available in that moment. So am I suggesting that this is the first time we've ever questioned or pondered or discussed creativity? Absolutely not. This is just sort of the first recorded, written, white, colonialist, historical caption, caption, capture (laughs) of creativity. However, with that in mind, knowing that back in the day, Plato was the first to really ponder, will we say of a painter that he makes something? Up until then, we had left creation to the gods. Language, the language available at that time, lacked a term that even described or adequately understood the process of human creation. And so throughout antiquity, it was argued and debated for decades, if not hundreds of years, that the writer, the craftsman, the builder creates, but the artist only imitates. What's the difference between something being constructed of truly unique quality or something being mimicked on canvas and written word, even in song? So fast forward, you know, a few hundred years and the Christians enter the debate and they decried only God can create art is only craft defined by rules. So until the 18th century and throughout even the Renaissance, this debate ensued, does art simply complete God's creation? Some suggested it was even blasphemous to create because that could only be a gift from the gods. But then we introduced science in the early 19th century Science argues that creativity is a human activity, and it is only when something new is discovered. So we are not creating, nor are we being creative, unless the end result is something that has never been seen before. So that puts a different edge on creativity, right? It's not just a feeling or an experience or even a a creation. It has to be new. That's new right? 
And I feel like a lot of us have actually felt that pressure and, and questioned our own ideas and our own creativity because it didn't feel like we had reinvented the wheel. So just be aware that's not necessarily, and nor has it always been the definition of creativity. That's, that's a very new construct and parameter within which creativity was shoved into. So how does science define something truly unique, something having been created through empirical evidence? So there must be a hypothesis, a guess around what's going to happen. Then we test that particular theory. We use data. So we test it over and over and over and over and over and over again until we gather enough data to create a result. And without the data, the result is meaningless. So without this particular approach, this particular application of theory and hypothesizing and testing, it's not real. It's not correct. And suddenly we stopped believing and we started testing. And here's where I may digress a little bit and get on a soapbox. Because what happened in our 20th century is we stopped testing. We started using other people's tests and data and evidence. Enter skepticism. Now, don't get me wrong. Skepticism can, is healthy. Critical thinking is healthy. Asking different questions to get different answers, that's how we come up with unique solutions. However, skepticism is when we stop asking and we stop trying. Because when we test, when we truly engage in an activity without knowing what the end result might be, with open curiosity, there is a potential for failure. And failure is hard. If we're really hung up, well, you know, this is where you're, are you attached to the outcome? If you're attached to a particular test result and you don't see that result, it feels like you have failed. This is defeatist. This is discouraging. This is potentially expensive. It can cost you time. It can cost you resources and money. And if you're not the one even making those investments, it can absolutely cost you the success of your that particular project, career, vocation, business. And there ain't no room in capitalism for failure and defeat. So skepticism. Skepticism is when we defeat ourselves before we even try, where we allow doubt without trust, because trust is hard. Trust takes practice. If I, I mean, just take a second to think about something that you're doing right now that you're contemplating giving up on. Yeah, I'm sure something popped into mind, whether it's like losing five pounds or a new sales strategy or potentially a relationship. Now, if I told you, if I guaranteed you, you will succeed 100%. I promise. Like, it's not even a matter of promise. I'm predicting your future. I'm telling you, guaranteed success. Would you keep going? I bet you would. Most people give up because they fear failure. And they justify it with this healthy skepticism, this critical thinking. And again, nothing wrong with that. No judgment. But when that starts to deny the existence of any faith, of any belief, of any creativity, and of intuition, 
ask yourself, is this helpful or is this harmful? Okay, so why does any of this fucking matter? The history of creativity, where skepticism was introduced, why it's now almost more prevalent than not? Because creativity is the number one factor determining our success. Creativity is the foundation for living a prosperous, fearless, successful life. It doesn't just help us paint a pretty picture, write an amazing song. It's also what enables us to create content that connects and sells. Um, It's what enables you to meet new people and try new things and go to new places. Creativity is how we influence our world, instigate change, improve our communities. That creativity comes from an intuitive hit. So I'm going to digress into just a little bit of science. (laughs) Because all of my naysayers, and you may or may not be listening to this, I don't know yet, uh, think that intuition is bullshit. And, you know, all of this spiritual mumbo jumbo, this new wave spirituality is brouhaha. And, And I know that because that used to be me. I used to think it was completely bullshit. This world is chaos. Faith is for the weak and the stupid. What's interesting is if you actually look at the science, I am talking about studies that have been happening for hundreds of years, citing people who you might recognize like Darwin, Einstein, Freud, and Jung, uh, more modern. And I'm looking at a study. I'm looking at a handful of studies right now from the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institutes of Health. really based on intuition, insight, nonverbal decoding, nonverbal sequencing, unconscious and conscious processes, right hemisphere dominance, atypical localization of cognitive functions, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many scientific studies that have been concluded that suggest where our creative functioning happens in our brain is the same physical location as our intuition. And based on diffusion, tensor tensor imaging that is being carried out, this allows researchers to examine why a specific neural track might be expected to deliver certain stimuli, certain information, creating these patterns and instances of intuitive acumen and or problem solving. Hit me up if you want these studies. This one is referred to as intuition, insight in the right hemisphere, emergence of higher sociocognitive functions. There is another one that is, again, what I'm looking for here are studies that are taking multiple studies that have occurred over decades to draw conclusions. This one is called the link between creativity, cognition, and creative drives and underlying neural neural mechanisms. Someone who I've read a lot of is Dr. Tara Stewart. She is a senior executive advisor and a senior lecturer at MIT Sloan. She's also an MD, a neuroscientist, and has written a handful of books. The first one, um, Neuroscience for Leadership, was the one that got me. But Dr. Tara jumped into the woo, and she has written two uh, follow-up books called The Source, the secrets of the universe, the science and the brain, the other one, open your mind and change your life. So you can see where I'm going with all of this. Once we start to flex our creative muscle, what we end up turning on is our intuition and they are skills. They are things to be practiced just like 
I was uh, hanging out with my friends, um, eight-year-old and five-year-old, and helping them with all of their homework. And you got to practice creativity and intuition like you practice your handwriting and your multiplication tables. It is something that without practice, it will atrophy. And with some focus and with some daily attention, you will see exponential growth. You know, you're not going to go to the gym and be able to squat 150 pounds. Maybe if you're a dude, you can. But for us ladies, you got to work up to it. And you know, you're going to hurt yourself if you don't. And how do you do it? You start with a potentially no weight at all and just gaining some muscle memory, sitting in a squat position, holding that for 10 to 15 seconds, Um, doing some other exercises and really building up to it. So once we start to build this creative muscle, we start to turn on our intuition. We start to build trust in ourselves, in our relationships, in our experiences. And with that trust, we can start to transcend fear. And this is where we start to allow our experience to expand, our success to expand, our relationships, our impact, everything begins to change. We start to look at problems like challenges. And rather than simply accepting the world as is, we move into a growth mindset, which allows us to question what can change. What can I impact? Where do I have control? When we spin our wheels trying to manipulate our environment to ensure a specific outcome, it's limiting. There's a lot of judgment. Like we're looking at this world through a problematic lens. These are problems. Something here is wrong. This is bad. I mean, that's judgmental at best, right? And potentially impossible at worst because half of the things that we're witnessing or experiencing aren't our problems to fix. If we can look at them through the lens of what if this isn't a problem? What if this is an opportunity? Everything changes. And that's the difference when we're, we're, you'll, you'll hear me talking a lot about this in terms of binary thinking or going into battle. When we're just trying not to lose, It's a very limited opportunity. We're kind of looking at the world as, again, right or wrong, good or bad, better or worse. And really, we're just kind of trying to avoid worse, bad, losing. When we can step into this space of non-judgment, where it's simply information, it's simply stimuli, it's simply an experience, that's when we can start to make choices. That's when we find the space to go, how can I get creative about this? How can I create the win, win, win? And what's fantastic about stepping into that creative space is it is uniquely you. There is no competition in creativity because people cannot think the way that you do about a certain thing. This is also where your authenticity shows up. And this is crucial in business because what differentiates you or your service or your product or your offering, what makes you authentically you, your creativity. And where does your creativity come from? Your intuition. So one of the reasons that creativity is the number one success factor is that it is a commitment to continual improvement. Have you ever noticed, especially when we're in that real creative world, 
like a creative project is never done. You never feel like that blog is finished or the newsletter or the painting or the music or the advertisement or the graphic design or the logo or the website or the little, 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 it never feels done. The product offering even, you know, that's why we have operating system (laughs) 14.1.2. Each one of those points are an iteration on the, the original offering. When we approach from a creative place, we never settle. We don't, we don't allow the parameters or the rules to keep us stuck. We continually brainstorm, strategize, implement, improve, and keep going with that. It's an expansive process. And we start to see how everything can improve. We start to look for how everything can be improved. And it's not to suggest that it's broken or wrong or fucked. It's just like, ooh, I wonder if this could be a little bit better. The world stops being the static, stagnant experience that's happening to you, but a dynamic, connected, influential place that is forever evolving. Once you practice creativity, you step into this place of confidence because you know There's only a start, but there is no end. And with practice comes trust. And with trust comes faith. And faith feels a lot like confidence. It's just this inner knowing. It's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. I mean, that sounds pretty excellent, in my opinion. I don't know about you. So in this sort of deep dive into creativity, I stumbled across the D School at Stanford which has its own origin story. I highly recommend Creative Confidence. It's been one of my favorite books and has really helped me understand the process between my own approach. If you've ever worked with me, you've heard test it. Let's test it. What I love about testing it is it gives us permission to be wrong, right? Suddenly it's not about getting the sale or hitting the targets or the numbers. It's just simply about understanding the process Because once we understand our process, that's where we can iterate and improve. When we understand how long this takes, the steps that are involved, the resources necessary, and we test it, we can go, oh, actually, this only took half the time that we thought. Or far out, we might need to invest a little bit more in resources. Or perhaps we're asking the wrong question to begin with. So Tom and David Kelly from the D School define creative confidence as an inherently optimistic way of looking at what's possible improving on existing ideas, and positively impacting the world around you. I love that. What might shift if you could look at some of the challenges you're experiencing with that or through that lens? When we choose an intuitive, creative approach, we shift into a growth mindset. And this is where like, practice becomes part of our daily activity. This is where skepticism, I think, really, really falls short because it stops us from even starting. And we give up before we've even gotten enough data to draw conclusive results. The brain, the ego... 
um, you know, all of that, like the inner critic, the gremlins, the limiting beliefs, like whatever you want to call that brouhaha sees the world as stuck because it's easier. It gives you permission to not try. Yeah. If nothing changes, why bother? But with creativity, you actually not only overcome obstacles, but you take on bigger challenges because with practice, you begin to trust that you'll persevere. You actually choose to believe in the possibility. Sounds a lot like faith, right? So you just let go of what isn't working any longer. It's not about failure. It's about iteration and improvement. And these choices, this creative, intuitive approach creates resilience. Again, this willingness to keep going despite the odds, despite maybe even some of the data, because there's like this instinctual, guttural, (laughs) visceral response that like, okay, this might not be working in the moment, but what if I'm, what if I am approaching it from the wrong direction? What if I thought about it from the opposite perspective? What if I just pushed this aside for a minute and focused on something else and allowed myself to percolate on some different angles of approaching this challenge. That's creativity. That's intuition. That's faith. Okay. And it is a very scientific process, everybody. We just got confused. We just overemphasized for, you know, basically science got trendy data became like sexy because we're all looking for guarantees. We're all looking for certainty, but like, goddamn, if we don't think about all of the things we accepted as fact that we simply know are not to be true anymore. I mean, how many planets are there these days? Like eight, nine, 10, eight. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up, there were nine and for a minute there we had eight. And now we're like, well, maybe Eris gets to be one if Pluto gets to be one. And You know, it's like, if you can prove without a doubt, 100% fact in every instance, like, cool, but let's not talk about quantum physics then, okay? Okay. That's where creativity, intuition, inspiration becomes incredibly powerful. It gives us confidence, it gives us resilience, and it's the number one success factor. So practice it. How? And I'm stealing this directly from the D-School. Thank you, Kellys. Thank you uh, for the design theory because it gives us a step-by-step approach to creativity and even intuition for my woos. So first things first, ideate. We've got to come up with a whole bunch of ideas. And this is where skepticism will fuck you because it, it like every idea you start to argue with it. So just set that aside and start brainstorming. We've all heard that. Uh, what was the new mind mapping? Got real trendy there for a minute. But yeah, just start busting out all the ideas, no rules. Doesn't matter if we have the resources, doesn't matter what the time limit is, doesn't matter what our skill set is, like anything. And as you start ideating, it's going to get real fun real quick because getting into that creative space, tapping into your intuition is compounding. It is essentially limitless. And when you shift into that action gear, like you just, you just start going and you go faster and faster. So please do not limit and give yourself as long as it takes. You'll, you'll start to, as you practice, even this phase, 
you'll start to feel like once you get to like an a state of exhaustion or you kind of start to teeter out or like things get real lackadoodle and like not very exciting, <laughs> you can stop there. Next, what we get into is sense making. And this is where we start to look at all of the ideas, everything that came out and use some pattern recognition here. Um, you can easily start to collate these ideas and, and really kind of figure out what's going to work. Here's, here's three simple filters, right? So just start with like, which one of these ideas do I love? Like which ones really light me up? Short list, maybe five to 10. From there, for our perspective and for this podcast perspective, I'm talking to entrepreneurs, visionaries, dream makers, business owners, doers, right? <laughs> and uh, for the most part, we're going to be looking at our ideas in one of two ways. Um, is this something I, I, I really like? Do I love this? And can I do this? And then potentially, can I monetize this? So if we're looking to create a business or a new product or a new service, use the money filter. I'm assuming capitalism is still a part of your <laughs> raison d'etre. So uh, let's just be quite real about this. We live in a material world. The best metric for materialism we have at the moment is money, monetary value. So that's why I suggest apply that as a potential filter for where to from here. What do I love? What can I do? What can actually make money? And then which one of the ideas that made it through those filters can I make happen now? That's a pretty great way to move from ideation to sense-making. From there, we're going to get into implementation. So this is just the strategizing, the planning. We get into the hypothesis and testing, right? So how are you going to test this idea? How are you going to take it to market? How are you going to get it online? How are you going to sell it, et cetera? And then we get into iteration and improvement. So once you put it out there, once you get feedback on it, once you test it, you're going to, that's where the data gathering comes from, right? And that's when you can go, okay, great. Here's what I learned. Like people thought this was really expensive or, I mean, I've sold things where people are like, I would have paid twice for this. That's really useful feedback. If no one buys it, was the messaging right? Was the distribution right? Did you put it in the right places? Did you get it in front of the right people? Oftentimes we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, one, because we haven't practiced creativity, inspiration, intuition, and testing and hypothesizing. We've let skepticism get in the way of us. But secondly, because we're, we're, again, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, we're just throwing out the whole thing. One of my favorite recent examples of this was during that year that we will not speak of, creative agency, the owner director that I was working with, decided that they were going to work with a legal team, a print shop, and a photographer in order to help businesses who needed to rebrand because basically a municipality decided to rename the city due to the fact that that city was associated with um, a, a racist historical figure of which most of our figures can be certainly attributed to. And so the city was going to do the right thing and, and rename. Now, obviously every business in that city that was called like city signage or city cafe or city services or city landscaping, we're all going to need to rebrand, right? 
And so this creative agency was going to reach out to, they basically put together a database of every single business in that municipality that had that municipality's name. And then they were going to put together this amazing package. So we'll redo like all of your branding. We're going to get legal to redo all of the structural LLC listings with the city, with the state, with the IRS. And we're going to get, you know, a photographer to then take pictures so that you've got all new content and we'll roll this out in 30 days for one lump sum. It was an incredible deal. And he uh, started reaching out to all of these business owners and he sent them an email and he got two responses and he called me up and he said, I cannot believe this idea failed. I put so much time and energy into it. I feel like a complete failure. This is ridiculous. And I said, okay, well, tell me about the two responses that you got. The first response was from a very successful business who had already stepped out all of these activities necessary for having to change their business name. And this business owner said, holy shit, if you had talked to me a week ago, I would have 100% taken you up on your offer. I would have saved so much time and so much money. I'm going to tell everybody that I know that you're offering this. Thank you for creating this service. The second response he got was from someone on city council who said, how can I team up with you on this? It is totally unethical for me to do so, but I'm going to forward this to all of the business owners in this municipality, this offer, and let me know how I can support you. So now I said to my client, okay, what about your idea did you think didn't work? And he's like, well, I didn't get the response that I wanted. Okay, wait, I'm sorry. What was the strategy? You sent a group email, like you basically build out a database and you sent a group email. Okay. How many emails do you get that go to junk? How many emails do you get a day? Do you think based on the two responses on you got, this strategy might be worth iterating and improving on? And he was like, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, maybe send another email maybe follow up with a phone call. I mean, if you called 10 businesses that you had a connection with and just said, hey man, or woman, or individual answering the phone, however you might identify, <laughs> I'm, I'm launching this new service. I've teamed up with a couple local businesses. Here's what we're doing. I've sent you an email. All of the details are in there. Are you interested? I just pulled the audience. Do you think that might help? And, and regardless of what you think, would you be willing to invest another hour of your life to try and push this launch, this strategy over the line? And he was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I guess I hadn't thought about it like that. Creativity. And really, like, the idea of a phone call, intuitive hit for me. That just popped into my brain. Where did it come from? I don't know. Um, I would much rather just be able to email everybody, but I'll tell you what, I get back to about 10% of the emails that I get within a week. And if you want to talk to me, text me and you have my phone number if you need it. But if you really want to talk to me, you can find my phone number. It's not hard. With about, uh, pro he probably put another 90 minutes into this endeavor and he got eight, eight bites and from there, it it rippled out. And so what could have been interpreted as a massive failure and time waste and resource suck 
turned into be an incredibly profitable exercise and a way to build contact and connection. So those now have become repeat clients for this agency. And what went from just doing not even a rebrand, but like a rename <laughs> exercise became retainer clients, became rebrand clients, and uh, became a real source of income for this agency. So I use that examples as a pretty obvious way of walking through the design theory process, but also suggesting that even creative people can think more creatively about what they do. And when that becomes a practice, when you start stepping out what creativity can do for your success, it's limitless. I'm going to wrap this up with two final discussion points because resilience became a real buzzword post the year that we shall not speak of. Here's how resilience applies to creativity, to intuition, to trust and faith. Resilience, I think, is a very desirable quality. It's not just perseverance. It's that ability to, I think, persevere with levity, with lightness. It's to have a little bit of fun in everything we're doing. And that, you know, fun is my number one. Ooh, it sounds so cheesy to say that. But why be resilient? Because it, it, it takes the drudgery and the struggle out of perseverance to me. It's like, you know, it is that silver lining. It is that, that knowing that on the other side of every challenge is an opportunity. And maybe we can take things a little less seriously. Maybe in this moment, even of like struggle and pain and shit, like we're going to get a shower. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, we get to lay down in bed. Sometimes that's like all I can tell myself is like, sweetie, you can, you get to lay in bed when you're done with this. Cool. Okay. Can we, can we take one more step? And here's just a few ways to really dial in resilience. Seek and accept help. That's number one. That's what my client did. You know, he was like, firstly, hired me. <laughs> and then secondly, reaches out to me outside of a session, outside of a planned appointment or whatever it is to say, man, like, I'm really disappointed. I'm going to call that out and I'm going to ask for help. Know when you need help. Know who your people are, not the people that are going to trauma bond, not the people that are just going to reaffirm like this world is a hard place, the people that are going to let you vent, hear you out, and then challenge, challenge you to lean on that resilience. If you don't know, I mean, firstly, I'm right here. You're listening to me. Uh, you already have my text number 720-704-4865. Hit me up. I would be happy to be a, your first step in building your resilience. Secondly, social support. And so this is a little bit outside of like phone a friend or, or pull the audience or find an expert. This is, this is where we kind of cultivate that support, where we say out loud, these are my goals, these are my dreams. And we potentially join like a mastermind or create our own mastermind. Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich, you know, he suggested creating a peer group so that you have some, you have people that are not just holding you accountable, but are also sharing their struggles and using creativity to empower each other to think about their problems and their challenges in a different way. I've used masterminds throughout my career for great success. And that word might trigger you. Yeah, trigger. It, it can be four people, 
that you just meet with every three months. It can be your squad (laughs) that you're hitting up, you know, on Friday night happy hours. It can be a mother's group. I mean, it can be any group of people where the purpose of that is support. And you're definitely not just talking about how shitty your fucking problems are, okay? Because I have seen support groups just foster and fester pain and struggle. That is not this. And if you're in any of those, you know it because you feel more tired and more drained when you leave. These are about feeling expanded, feeling inspired, feeling creative when you leave. You have no excuses. There are meetups. There are Facebook groups. There are Slack groups. There are Telegram chats. There are Discord servers. Like There are so many places now that you can connect, even if it's like joining a group for people who are terrified of connecting in real life. Like, believe me, there is uh, there is some digital form of connection somewhere out there that can help you step this out. Finally, in terms of resilience, so we're seeking and accepting help, we're cultivating social support, and then we're creating connection. And by connection, I don't just mean like with other people. I mean like connecting the dots. This is something that I've actually been musing on a lot quite recently because, and I'm going to do a different episode about this called No More Talky Talky, but it's really about connecting your dots. How are you stepping things out? How are you taking ideas from your brain hole into your actual experience and creating action and flow? A lot of the times we're just mulling shit over in our head or we're potentially just talking about it. The next real step is creating an action plan. This is where design theory becomes incredibly useful. This is where creativity and intuition become useful because intuition are those hits that go, do it now, or check this place out, or call that person, or ask this different question. Think about this in a slightly different way and start to really connect your dots. Uh, You've heard me potentially talk about like energy stacking activities. That's a way of connecting the dots. If you're feeling exhausted, tired, sorry for yourself, take some space. I have a whole series of activities that help me level up from in my language, in the ELI language, level one to level five. So again, if I'm feeling super sorry for myself or exhausted, I can take a nap. I can take a shower. I can take a bath. I can have a cup of coffee. I can, oh, forgive that siren. I, you know, and then if I'm feeling like the world is against me, I'm at war, I'm in that binary space of win or lose. I usually, I'll do a focus wheel. I'll phone a friend. And when I phone, you know, I seek and accept help. I call someone who I know is going to challenge me and get me out of it. The consigliere who she does not let me off the hook. And then I get into that like neutrality, that level three, and I create the action plan, the budget the next best steps, and so on and so forth. But having a list of energy stacking activities, that's a fantastic way of connecting the dots. Last things here, and this is a fun one that I I stumbled across, and this was definitely not mine. I have no idea. I don't like, this was one of those, there's 1,800 blogs on it, so I don't even know where it came from. I wish I could give credit to where credit's due. If you know who came up with karaoke confidence, holla. So what is karaoke confidence? It is a fantastic way of approaching your biggest fears, your biggest skepticisms. Is that a thing? Skepticisms? Your your stop points where you pussy out. 
And I, oh gosh, is that bad? Am I not supposed to say that anymore? Sorry. Think of it in terms of kitty cats because I fucking hate cats. I said it. If they were big enough, they'd eat you. Okay. So, okay. Karaoke confidence. What is karaoke confidence? Think about what it takes for you to get on a fucking karaoke stage and make a complete fool of yourself. Firstly, you're willing to make a complete fool of yourself. You're willing to let your guard down, get silly and laugh. You're purposefully acting like an idiot and it's fun. It's only ever meant to be fun. And in fact, like the people who take it, like, you know, you know, you've been at the karaoke bar when that like semi-professional singer gets up and they even have like the kind of choreographed dance and you know, like this is their song. And it's like a, it's a pretty eye roll moment, right? So there's no better than, (laughs) there's no perfect in karaoke. And again, like if you're trying for that, it's almost like you're doing it wrong. So you let go of the fear and the judgment and you just have fun. Like the worst performance is the truly unique and memorable one. So what do you have to do to be successful? You just sign up. You write your name down on that piece of paper. And then you sing your fucking heart out. Way out of tune. It's a heart rate rising moment. And it's a soul feeding activity. It is joy and fun and connection and all of the things, all of the experiences that enable us to tap into our intuitive knowing our creativity and our inspiration. And it's when we let go and flow to be super cheesy. That's when we really enjoy the moment. That's when we find our success. That's when we find our resilience. That's when we keep on keeping on. Woo. That was a meaty one. I think I got it all in there. Thank you for bearing with me. Creativity is the foundation of everything. I certainly do of the people that I work with you, my very benevolent, kind, generous listener who stuck it out with me for nearly an hour. It's not all about science and data and evidence. And in fact, you can utilize that same process to get to creativity, faith, and intuitive knowing. I'm going to leave it right there.